Welcome to episode 95 of Honestly Unbalanced, where we chat to people that have tried to make your life a little bit better. And this week we chat to someone who has trained, I think we worked it out in the podcast, something like 10,000 yoga teachers, something absolutely obscene. Maybe I'm exaggerating there. I listened to the podcast to get the correct number. So Vidya, uh, Jacqueline Hiesel, is the director of Surulia Retreat Centre which we've realized I can't really say properly, but Surya Leela <laughs> Retreat Center and the director of Frog Lotus Yoga International Teacher Training Programs. She's been teaching for over 45 years and she just has this most amazing, profound understanding of yoga philosophy uh, and meditation and asana that resonates with practitioners worldwide. In the year 2000, uh, she created Frog Lotus International Trainings, having traveled the world with it for many years and eventually created Surulia Retreat Center, which is a sanctuary of yoga exploration in the scenic landscape of Andalusia, Spain. And that's where she's been based and has taught just so many teacher trainings over the years. And I've met many people and many teachers that have been taught by her, and all of them have a very solid grounding understanding of yoga, which can sometimes be a little bit rare. Uh, she's a wonderful human being, so wise. I have no doubt that you'll get so much from this episode as we chat about how Surulia was created. We chat about the importance of public speaking and self-confidence in teaching yoga. We talk about her philosophy and approach to teaching yoga, what vinyasa flow actually means, where sun salutations actually came from, and so much more. You guys enjoy the episode, I'm sure you will. Over the last 18 years, I've taken all sorts of supplements, many of which have tasted awful or probably actually not been that good for me. I'm so glad the supplement industry has changed a lot, particularly over the last few years, thanks to brands like Innermost. Uh, and Innermost creates science-backed wellness products made with natural ingredients without any rubbish put in them. I met Shiv, the founder of Innermost, quite a few years ago, actually, when they were just starting up. And it's been a pleasure to see him and the brand go from strength to strength. They've appeared in GQ, Women's House, Tatler, Vogue, The Independent. You'll find them in shops, in gyms, etc., all over the world. I'm currently taking a lot of their lean range at the moment as I try and sort myself out a little bit after year one of being a dad and slightly neglecting the weights in my back garden. But yeah, I can't recommend their stuff enough. Their strawberry delight flavor uh, of their lean protein I'm taking at the moment is perhaps the best protein and most mixable protein I have ever tasted. The code, all caps, A-D-A-M-H hyphen 10, will get you 10% off any of their stuff. And it also supports a podcast if you use that code. If you're on the hunt for a new yoga mat, then life form have your back. Their mats are amazingly grippy. They created their own unique yoga mat alliance system back in 2008. And not only are they just incredible mats, they are a really ethical company. They are B Corp certified, which means they are a force for good in the world. And they're constantly giving back both to the yoga community and to the world as a whole. Lately, they've released loads of new patterns. I love their magic carpet ones. Uh, loads of new colors. So check them out. And of course, we'll get you a little discount. Code, all caps, HUSLER10, H-U-S-L-E-R-10, will give you 10% off 
any of their products. And if there's ever a sale on, you'll still get extra money off with that code HUSTLER10. So support the world, support your yoga practice with a life form. You have the most wonderful retreat center and I've been many, I've been to so many across the world uh, and everyone loves Suralaya. They say there's something magical about it. It feels homely, it feels safe. H- how have you cultivated that? I guess you, you, the retreat centers existed for a long time. Uh, so you've got lots of practice, but how have you made an effort or how have, what kind of work have you put in to make it feel like this safe nurturing space beyond the aesthetic, which is beautiful? Yeah. Um, well, I think it's really like cultivating the community of people that work here because, um, you know, I've just been really blessed in that everyone who comes here to work somehow is attracted here for a sort of magical reason. <laughs> and um, I think everybody here work who works here really loves the retreat center and loves what we're doing and is sort of on the same page. You know, like we, we read our mission statement. We have two meetings a week where we read aloud our mission oh, statement nice. and everyone's together on it, you know? And I think that, um, First of all, we are a small community because many of the people that work here are just from different parts of Europe. Um, There are quite a few English people who actually started working here before Brexit, (laughs) and they were able to stay. Um, And um, yeah, I think that we, you know, the the staff really love what we're doing and are really behind it. And I think it's different from having a business where people just feel like it's their job. You know, mm. a lot of the staff live on the property. Like we have a property right next door where a lot of the staff live. So um, I think that having a community of people that work here that love the place and love what we're doing together, it creates a certain vibe from when you enter the premises. And I think it's different from when you go, maybe go to a kind of five-star resort mm. where it's just a job, you know. And I think also it's really nice that it's an international community of staff um, because it's not just, I mean, we do have quite a lot. I think about at least 12 local Spanish people working here as well. So that's also good. We're kind of integrated into the community. But aside from that, we have about 20 international staff. And I think that makes a big difference. And everyone's into yoga. You know, I. <laughs> that's important. Our, our manager- <laughs> have um six women on the management team that's another thing to to know uh, our management team is all female so six women and um they're all yoga teachers so it's uh, it's a different vibe than maybe a corporate business you know like because i think we have different um you know I, ideas about i think i've got to say that might i think the fact it's all female might be why it feels such a nurturing place uh i th- i think the male influence neither good or bad of course but different fundamentally different and i certainly you know if holly was on the podcast with me she'd be asking you different questions yeah. about you know the, the loves of your life and like and i want to know logistics and there is it's often just a very different way of thinking isn't there between males and females and maybe that is why the space is so magical or one of the reasons yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, you know, in the beginning, because obviously yoga, the yoga world is very uh, 
you know, imbalanced in a way. I think maybe in the city, you've got more men doing yoga. But in general, I would say even our guests are predominantly female. Mm. We get, I would say that maybe it's the percentage is like at least 75% women, 25% men, or even might even be a little higher than that in terms of, you know, our guests. Mm. So it's quite interesting. The whole center is very female-oriented, and I didn't really set out to do that. It just sort of happened by itself. And uh, I think also I always thought it would be good to have men on the management team as well, like a mix. And I did for quite a long time have a man managing, like front-of-house manager um, for many years, actually. But it was only the last year that I... I got a woman in that role and that was our only male role in the management team. And um, actually, oddly, I prefer it. I just feel like <laughs> it works, you know? Yeah. And it's not, it's not that I have anything against men. I really don't. But the, I love but, men. And the two, too, the two men you had, I met them both, both wonderful. They were on the more yeah. gen- gentle end of the spectrum, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. They, I mean, I think the men who have worked here in a way it's, they had to be that way to work with so many women <laughs> otherwise it would have been really difficult but um yeah but somehow for various reasons you know they left and and in the end I thought the most obvious person for the job was a woman and so I thought okay let's go for it let's have an all-female management team and see see how it works and it's been great actually I guess it would be interesting later to talk about men and yoga and getting more involved. But one thing you mentioned before is your mission statement. Uh, and I've never heard of a yoga studio or a yoga center having a mission statement. Can you give us a peek into what that includes and why you even created it in the first place? Was it is it due to a background that you had elsewhere like in the corporate world where there was a mission statement? Um, well, actually, it did come out of a kind of... Um, a kind of session that we did with some management coaches, a management coach. And I do that regularly, actually. We have management coaching every six months. So uh, creating the mission statement in the beginning did come out of um, a coaching session. Um, But that was, you know, already a long time ago. Uh, It was right near the beginning. And um, basically my mission is just to, well, I'm not going to repeat the whole mission statement <laughs> to you, but um, <laughs> but it was to create a sanctuary um, where people do feel nurtured and you know they feel the human warmth that we've created here, and also they get to experience a place of tranquility and beauty, and that we're here to serve really and to create that space. Um, and also for us to actually, and also, you know, I feel like with the team, I kind of work towards, um, you know, just pulling on everybody's talents, you know, and, and actually it's a, I always feel like it's a co-creation because everyone who comes here leaves a little bit of their heart mm-hmm. and, you know, all the staff that have worked here have brought something to the table. So when people come here, I really like to find out what their talents are and and just, you know, use their talents and, and encourage their talents. And um, so I think that part of it is nurturing the team, the kind of, and, and then part of it is the team knowing that they're here to nurture the guests. And, um, you know, and I feel like it's just a different approach. You know, we're not here 
see, the thing is, it's really weird when I say this, but um, a lot of business people cringe, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not doing this for money. <laughs> you know, I'm not doing this to make money. I never had the goal of I'm going to open a retreat center to make lots of money. Um, and that's, I just don't, money has never been my goal actually in life. And I've been fortunate because I've done quite a few things that have made me quite a bit of money, but, mm-hmm. but that was almost accidental, you know, and I, I, I have never had a goal of making money. It's just not the way I think. Um, but I have had a goal of, you know, I always think if you make something that's perfect, that's brilliant, that you love, that other people are going to love it as well. You know, I always had this idea. So, you know, my goal with Surya has just to be, you know, to sort of bring heaven to earth. I've always had this idea. You know, I want to make this place as heavenly as possible in all possible ways. And, um, and that will have an impact. That means teachers will want to come here and bring groups. And it means that, um, you know, individual guests, will want to come back I mean we have many many repeat clients and many repeat groups as well and um, you know I I just know you know what was really helpful for me when I was creating Surya is I've worked at so many retreat centers not worked I've brought groups to many retreat centers myself over the last um, 20 years I I was doing it like for 10 years before I had Surya I was nonstop traveling the world and teaching at retreat centers. Um, and that's kind of what I did for 10 years, like just moving. I did five trainings a year at, in different locations around the world. And so I visited like the best retreat centers in the world. I was very qualified <laughs> to create it because, you know, I mean, I, I was always looking for the perfect container for my own trainings. And um, and that's when I finally got the idea that I really wanted to create it myself because I knew exactly what I wanted and it was really, really difficult to find all of these positive qualities that I was looking for in one place. So I thought, you know, maybe I should do this myself because then I won't have to mm-hmm. look anymore. That was my initial And I think that's sometimes the answer that most people, is that some people need. I think yeah, the world can be full of people that not moan but say i don't like the way this is done this is done and people can do what you do to do something yourself if you don't like the yoga studio you're teaching in set up a new yoga studio if you don't like a retreat center exactly. make the perfect retreat center if you don't like a training etc etc i'm interested as to why you chose spain and it could be a very easy answer for you but one of my things i quite like european retreats because i find when i go further afield and i've been, I've been to many beautiful places it feels alien to me. There is a lack of familiarity. Mm. So it feels like I'm going into a completely different world. And I go on a mm. retreat to almost do some searching within myself. And I think that's very hard to truly do when you've changed your surroundings so drastically. Like if I'm looking mm. across a, you know, an ocean in Sri Lanka, it's such an alien yeah. landscape to me that I can't really yeah. do the proper self-work. Whereas there is something I love about the European retreats. You know, particularly Spain, you know, seeing a landscape that's familiar, uh, mm. feeling not potentially that far from home, I mm. think can be grounding in, in, in a sense. So I just wonder what the motivations were about Spain. Was it always Spain? Were there links to Spain? No, I mean, actually, I think 
Spain chose me, really. I, I think when I was thinking, you know, when I decided that I wanted to do this, I obviously was thinking, where shall I do it? And, um, you know, there were a lot of places. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm very comfortable in many places, actually. And I lived in Bali for eight years um, at one point in my life. So I was very attracted to doing it there. But, and also Costa Rica was somewhere else that I thought about because I'd also been doing a lot of retreats in Costa Rica. I also loved Mexico, so I also thought about that. <laughs> but um, I sort of ruled them out because at the time, I, we found this place 12 years ago um i you know there weren't really any really big uh, yoga retreat centers in southern europe and i was coming to southern europe every year to run a training and um and i i used to teach in portugal spain italy i i taught in all of those countries and i was really struggling to find the right retreat center in europe to do my training and so i thought you know, I just thought um, there's a hole in the market mm. in Southern Europe, you know, and Bali and Costa Rica, they were full of retreat centers. Um, and Mexico, it always has political problems, you know. So, <laughs> I, you know, the last time I did a training in Mexico, I had 30 people drop out because there was suddenly a travel advisory oh, no. from the state to Mexico. You know, so it was like I ended up doing the training with 17 people instead of 47. So, but it was fine. But I thought, well, maybe that's not a good idea, even though I love Mexico and most of you don't even come across those kinds of issues there. Um, I just felt like it's too politically unstable. So I dropped that idea. And, and yeah, in Costa Rica and Bali, it was just the question of all the, you know, competition because there was a lot of different retreat centers mm. in both places so that's why I landed on Spain it was the one that made most sense really it was a kind of sensible choice because I, I just thought well there's no other there's nothing comparable to what I want to do no. right now and this still isn't really as far <laughs> as I'm aware yeah there's a few more bigger centers that have opened in Italy and in Spain that I'm aware of and I don't know what they like they're like because I, I no longer travel to other retreat centers <laughs> so I'm, I don't know what really exactly what the competition's like, but, um, you know, I've, I've, somebody was doing some market research for us recently and um, mentioned that um, they didn't really think there was anything like Surya anywhere else in Europe. You know, like there are, I think there's more, there's kind of a few more kind of higher class, five-star mm. kind of resort type of places but which is a bit more like going to a sort of yeah to a five-star hotel with yoga you know and yeah but but not this kind of I don't think so I think what there are is there's lots of wonderful venues that have realized there was a market for yoga retreats and have dedicated a room as a kind of a yoga shala Uh, but I I feel perhaps at the time that you created Suralaya you could do it for the right reasons in a sense. I'm sure there was investment, et cetera, but you could do it for the right reasons. Where I think now, you know, the property market is so competitive, the investment would be so high. There would be so much potential competition 
that it's very hard to create an organic retreat center. You almost need lots of money and it's going to be very commercial and very strict, probably a high staff turnover. I think it would be very challenging to do, which leads me to the question of when you created Suralea, I guess this is pre-social yeah, media. Wait, Adam, before we go on, I, keep I have saying to it teach wrong. you how to say, I know, but to say I, it right. I can't say anything. I'm from Birmingham and I have a lisp. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I, right, let me try again. Um, Suralea. Oh. <laughs> say it. Sun salutation. Surya. Surya is sun. It's, so it's, Surya. it's a middle bit. It's a middle bit it's, that struggles me. The Al Y in yeah. the middle. <laughs> But you, you know what? You just—it's just like two words. It is made up of two words, really. Surya, like Surya Namaskar. So Surya is just the sun, and Leela, Surya which means Leela. cosmic play. It's my tongue. It's it's cosmic it's cosmic play. Surya, you know, practice. you're not the only one. It's not. I, you're I, not the only I one. I have practice. to admit that. By the time <laughs> I see you next. People, <laughs> a lot of English people have problems with the name, and I think if I was, you know to do it again i would change the name because people do have difficulty with it um yeah so um you're you're not the only one but um as long as people could as, as long as <laughs> what we have now is we have google autocorrect so whatever people type in as long as there is an s and a u in it and a complex ending on google they'll find you <laughs> that's a winning really <laughs> but you know i uh yeah no i've always struggled because that's a, that's a really interesting thing actually uh and maybe we come into this We'll kind of deviate a little bit. So as as a yoga teacher, you do a lot of public speaking, of course. And I've got a lisp and I've, you know, got a brummy accent to some you know, to some degree. And at school I would never speak. I would you know, you know when you you'd be in school and you would all read a few lines each and you'd go around the classroom reading two lines and I hated it and I would rehearse my line in my head. And I was really insecure uh about voice and lisp and alike. Uh then at university, you know, softened a little bit with the help of alcohol, that kind of social lubricant. But the idea, <laughs> the idea then of me having a career, like today, I was teaching a, a big event today in London. I was on the main stage teaching hundred plus people, and it just it's the easiest thing in the world. There's no pressure, and I don't know whether it's the fact I don't care anymore or the yoga gives me confidence. But you've trained thousands, probably thousands of teachers. That would be correct, wouldn't it? Plus, you didn't yeah, teach trainings. Over three thousand. Three thousand. Wow. Plus trainings for already qualified teachers as part of your adv- your uh, advanced frog loaders trainings. What what would you? Say, how would a teacher build their confidence beyond just repetitions of teaching? How would you advise teachers to build their confidence in terms of holding space? Because it's very easy for someone that's performance background, but for someone that doesn't have a stage background or a like. How would you advise them to build their confidence in holding space, speaking to a big room in a natural way that doesn't feel like they're just reading a script? Yeah, I mean, I think to be really, you know, I mean, I think there's several ways, but, um, you know, I think that one thing is actually you need to have self-confidence because if you don't have self-confidence, it's going to come out across, you know. So I think that if you do you know, if you don't actually have self-confidence, then it's going to be difficult, you know, so one has to work on that. I mean, when I'm doing my trainings, one of the things that I really, uh, you know, like to do in the training is is some self-empowerment. You know, I actually created a self-empowerment practice because I think people struggle with, like, low self-esteem and feeling nervous in front of, speaking in front of other people and this kind of thing. So one 
thing, I think, is we have to somehow work on that. I mean, I used to do things with um, like Tony Robbins. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah, I don't know him well. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, when I was younger, I did quite a few workshops with him. And, and you In know, person? Like, I think it's a, not, well, not one-on-one. No, but, but, but you it, went I've to the events, things... so the in-person events. Oh, yeah. yes. I went yeah. to the events. Yes. So, um, yeah. So I think that this kind of thing can be super helpful. Um, just getting some kind of building your own self-confidence as a person. It can mm. help you with many things, but definitely as a teacher. You know, I think everybody, if you if you don't have self-confidence, so you don't have good self-esteem, you need to do something about it because mm. you can't, it's difficult to really enjoy your life with that kind of um, image of yourself, you know, and I think people struggle with it a lot these days, you know, a lot of younger people, I think, um, you know, unfortunately, because of social media and all of this, I think a lot of people suffer from low self-esteem. So I think sometimes you need to have a therapist or whatever. Yeah. And um, the other thing I would say is that, you know, what gives me confidence and what I also like to teach my students is just the knowledge of, of yoga philosophy. Because when you know that you're not this body mind that you think you are, the small self, you know, the egoic self. Mm-hmm. But that's just, I always say it's just your avatar. You know, it's like your online <laughs> avatar you know, and your body and mind. So um, so you don't need to worry about it. It's not you, you know, it's just what you use to, um, you know, um, navigate in the transactional world, right? Mm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. And, and perhaps... So I, I think... Sorry. So I, was to, I was going to say, perhaps it's something as well we get just from the long-term practice of yoga. I think it's something like yeah. you build that. I think you, you, you know, often for many of us, the first stage of a yoga practice is to do the cool poses, especially if you're kind of in the twenties, it's to do the cool shapes, do the cool poses, which for some can actually, to some degree, degrade self-confidence because you're constantly comparing yourself to others and what they can do. And, or, or it can build mm-hmm. your ego because you can do stuff that other people can't. But often the second stage of an asana practice is you let go of all of that. You realise it kind of doesn't matter anyway and you're really having right. that practice of self-inquiry. So perhaps that in itself leads to the building of either self-confidence or the act of just not caring so much because we realise we're all yeah. the same. Perhaps. Sure. I think also, of course, practice, you know, like because if you do something hundreds of times, once you've taught hundreds of classes, you're obviously going to feel a lot more comfortable, right? Mm. And this um, is... So in the beginning, it's going to be quite challenging because, you know, you're not, you don't actually feel it at ease teaching usually in the beginning when people start no. teaching. But it just means that I always tell people, like, even when they're on a training, like, by the time you leave this training, you're going to have the tools that you need to t- be a good teacher, but you're going to have to practice. If you don't practice it's not going to come. So the one thing you can't do for people on a training is all the practice that they Mm. need to do. The practice teaching, you know, like just do it, get out there and do it and do it. And once you've done it a hundred times, you're going to feel a lot better. I think that's so important and so missed out. I think, I think especially because people love numbers and objective success, you know, you often see people do a 200 hour training, then immediately 300 hour training, then more, and they become a 750-hour teacher who's taught 20 classes. 
And I think we we miss that. I think the practice is the key. And there'd be no other profession where you do an advanced training without having actually practiced delivering what you've learned already. And so for me, this commercially, this is a bad thing to say for me, but I often say, don't do like more trainings straight away. Like once you've done a 200 hour training, give yourself time to process that knowledge, digest it, apply it to human beings in front of you. Then maybe after teaching a few hundred hours, you found out the kind of teacher you might want to be. Ergo, then maybe you might be ready to explore more advanced trainings. Right. That, yeah, that makes sense. And what, what, what other advice might you give to, to newer teachers when you send your teachers out into the world, uh, or 3,000 plus of them, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, I think if you, well, one thing I always say is if you, if you, you really want to do this, you can, you know, it's possible. You know, the thing is that there's so many yoga teachers out there, but they all, I always say they all get sick, go on holiday, have kids, you know, like have time off. So there's lots of yoga teachers out there that need substitute teachers. Mm. The more yoga teachers there are, the more job possibilities there are, you know. So I always think that if you really, really want to teach, you can, and that's what you want to do is your full-time thing, don't give up, you know. You just keep trying and trying until you succeed, you know, like with anything, actually. But um, I think that it's not rocket science to be a good yoga teacher. You know, you can also keep studying. You can keep working on your, you know, your um, presentation of the class. But I think, and you keep practicing and you can do it. You know, I think that the thing is, it's not, like I said, you don't have to be Einstein to teach yoga. (laughs) You just have to really want to do it and love yoga. and, And then you just keep studying and you keep trying to teach and you know eventually it will happen I think I think people maybe give up easily or maybe they think that the classes are going to come to them easily Mm. you know like the work's going to come easily and you have to go out and look for the work you know and you also have to be willing to market yourself so you know it's like it's not just being good at yoga that is going to make you a good yoga teacher right it's the there's so exactly. many, especially you nowadays, so awesome. many other skills that you might require. So I'm I'm a, a mm. podcaster. I edit videos. I do the social media. I'm, there's so many things you might need to do. We had a wonderful chat yesterday. And the podcast may or may not be out, depending on people listen to this. With Julie Montague. So Julie Montague is a, a London-based teacher. Probably started teaching maybe ten years ago, and she described how she wanted she she just given birth to her fourth child. Uh, and was working a very intensive job she trained as a yoga teacher and she tells a story about going to schools uh, and not go taking her children to school and then after school getting her children to do the flyering for her doing flyering with her oh, children yeah. all around Kensington and Chelsea uh, renting two spaces out and even if no one came she stuck with her and you know, her view was if you want to do something new try it for at least a year if you book a haul out commit to that haul for a year and actually build. Uh, but I think a lot of what we see in the modern age encourages us to try and search for that quick fix, to follow the route of least resistance. Even perhaps, you know, yeah. teacher trainings that promise promise the world. Uh, there's mm. many out there, join this training, have an immediate career change, earn thousands of pounds, change your life. Mm. And that's not always the case, is it? We mm. have to actually, as you say, put the uh, no. put the work in. Yeah, you definitely have to put the work in and believe in yourself, you know, and, and actually be really behind it. 
And, you know, I think also sometimes it's, it might be appropriate to make the transition slowly. Like maybe you have mm. another job and you start to teach one or two classes a week so you don't overwhelm yourself and slowly you build on that, you know, as you get more confidence. So sometimes a, sl a slow transition is appropriate for people, you know, especially if you have a lot of bills to pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now yeah. You've, you've been... I guess teaching trainings in the yoga world for a long time now and you've owned a retreat center in a yoga world that has changed significantly changed in many ways changed in terms of conversations on cultural appropriation changed in terms of the styles of yoga that might be more popular kind of the invert you know maybe not so much it had a peak maybe a few years ago but everyone wanting to do inversions and arm balances and move very fast with pop music let's say nothing wrong with that but you know it, it's a trend with yoga the instagram age <laughs> of course of not just relying on word of mouth but everyone's suddenly offering trainings everywhere and it becomes who's the best marketer how have you managed to adapt how have you managed to ground what you do in this constantly changing world well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not really doing something vastly different that I've been doing, if, if you see what, <laughs> see what I mean. But I think that it's just that, to be honest, I don't even keep up with the yoga world because, you know, <laughs> I have my own yoga world. I have my own yoga bubble here. And um, I don't really follow anyone on Instagram or take anyone else's classes. So I, I actually have no idea, but what's happening so much anymore i used to be more into that but <laughs> since i've been at surya leela i have my own little bubble here and um, also i you know i've created a style of yoga that people really like and that i really like myself and uh, so i don't feel like i need to keep up with anything you know i i just feel like what i'm doing works mm -hmm. and it's timeless in a way you know it doesn't have to be something that's going to get go out of fashion you know because I have a you know quite a sort of a methodology that works for me and seems to work for a lot of other people and um, also I you know I'm much more into the phil philosophical side of yoga than I am into you know what's going on on Instagram or anything like that you know what I really want to share with people is is yoga philosophy because that's what really has transformed my own life for you know many years and and what you know is important to me and I yeah so so and that's a timeless thing as well you know yoga the philosophy has been around for thousands of years and it, it works you know so I it, that's what I really want to be able to share with people and um, you know and having a good practice to you know sort of as the wrapping paper for that <laughs> it's, um, you know is it's great you know but I, I think that I don't feel like I need to keep up with fashion here mm. you know I'm just doing something that really works seems to work well and it you know people really do like it and uh, yeah so I I don't know who knows maybe it will I you know I don't know if I need to change the times really I I think that Surya Leela maybe changed a little bit with the times. And of course, COVID was a very weird mm. time. <laughs> so, you know, we had to try to adapt to that, which was almost impossible, being a retreat center that relies on tourism. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. For me, I, I don't see this as a fashion. So 
But, but, but that, is, that is heartening in a sense. And for anyone listening who's a yoga teacher or creating their own thing, you don't need to constantly change with the times and change with the trends. You need some people to really like what you do and they'll pass it on yeah. and they'll find it. Somehow yeah. they will find it. Because uh, it can be very tempting. You know, let's say in London, in my style of class, I don't use much music. Sometimes I might have faint classical music in to hold the space. And, I, and I'm very technical at times. That's my bias is towards what's actually happening in the body in each moment. Mm-hmm. And I know commercially that isn't the most popular style of yoga. And if I look at what's successful, I would add better music, as it were. I would move people faster. I'd probably do hands-on assists, which I don't do now for various reasons. Not, nothing happened, but I just, it's, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't do hands-on hands assists. Uh, and I know what would work well, but... Yes, my classes aren't as busy as perhaps they would be if I did those things. But the people that like me like me. And you don't need everyone yeah. to love you. You need some people to really resonate, resonate with what you do. And your, your style of, of yoga, so I haven't actually witnessed it. I've, well, to some degree, I guess I have. Uh, I've seen you practice. I think you came to my class once when I first came to Sevilla. So, so, hmm. <laughs> uh, many, <laughs> many, many years. Well, I think maybe seven years ago, perhaps, was the first time I came. But I did actually work heavily with one of your students, Carl Four. I don't know if I'm saying his surname right, right to be honest. So, Carl, I used to work for him in his studio. Carl Four. It is yeah. Four, yeah many, yeah, many years. So, I kind of, I've yeah. seen your style through him. How, how would you describe your style? Yeah, well, um, I yeah even Carl is not maybe a good example of my style because he has kind of a you know his own style now which is not quite what I call fly style fly is the name of my frog lotus yoga so we call it fly well that works well, well. <laughs> um yeah um but um no I'll, I'll explain the style to you so it was you know it's very loosely vinyasa flow it is it, it is a form of flow um but I draw on the different styles of yoga that I have trained in. So I did training in, well, in, I, with Iyengar teachers also. And um, with, I, I was also an Ashtanga teacher and I studied um, Kundalini yoga as well. So I, I actually mix all the styles together. Um, so every, you know, it's like a, a it's a kind of mix at, what I would say an intelligent and creative flow. So I'm also into form and alignment. I mean, I don't go, you know, I also like people to um, have a knowledge of the anatomy and, you know, good form and alignment, but obviously for good form and alignment is different for everyone yeah. because everyone is different, but um, there are things that you can do that would maybe be injurious that I like, I like to prevent, injury i think that it's very important that we have long longevity in our practice so i try to teach in a way that's very safe where we offer lots of options and um you know i think skillful teaching is where you always can bring in the options for all the different um ability levels and you know in in the room without making people feel like they're being graded you know yes Um, good students do this more experienced students do that better students do this I hate that I hate (laughs) that when people say that but um yeah so I just teach um yeah a very I think it's approachable I mean I used to be much more into 
inversions and arm balances and all that stuff. But to be honest, most of the people that come to Surya Leela are not doing arm balances and inversions, you know, and it's, they're not really ready to be taught that. So sometimes we don't teach those, you know. I mean, I do when I'm doing my trainings, obviously, but um, I, I really feel like um, I've had to adjust the way that I teach and practice to the audience, you know, and you... You're not getting, you know, it's not like every class you teach is going to be an advanced or even intermediate class, you know. Yeah. It's like, I think the ability to adapt to who's there. But one thing that I do in my practice that I feel is very, very important is we spend a long time doing warm-up before we do standing flow. So I do either seated, supine, or, um, or, or prone laying on the front but I do I start with a lot of warm-up we always start with pranayama and then I I systematically warm up all of the different areas of the body quite often with kundalini yoga so I don't use kundalini yoga in a traditional way I just uh, weave a lot of the movements into my flow because I, I really enjoy it and then you know I also do focus on alignment lots of options up and down and you know, and I, I like creativity as well. So I often have themes to the class and, you know, so it might be focused on the shoulder girdle or focus on the hip girdle or whatever, heart opening or something like that. So I like to theme the classes and to sort of go deeper into something usually. But um, yeah, it's quite eclectic. It's an eclectic it mix. Yeah. That's st- um, that start. I- so I was going to say, that starting slow is really valuable, I think, for many reasons. As you say, warming up the body. But if you're going to teach certain skills and understanding in the class, you, you can't teach that when somebody's doing their you know, Ardha Chandrasana. You can't teach them about the body in Ardha Chandrasana. <laughs> They're already stressed out. But that slow opening is that perfect time to educate, isn't it? To weave in extra yeah. philosophical components into that. Uh, and also, actually, people can see you people can see you demo things or explain Mm -hmm. in a non-stressful non-stressful way yeah yeah no it's good it's good to be able to you know have an understanding of the body and how it works what's safe the yoga community i think not the yoga community but yoga in itself can be quite hard for people to understand if you're not in it as it were so uh, a studio I teach in had investment from a company mainly fitness related. And I'm sure many yoga teachers teach in gyms. And often I find the group fitness, it, the people in charge of group fitness, as it were, or the people that are in charge of these more fitness-based premises, they really struggle to understand like what vinyasa yoga is because it's so non-prescriptive. Like if you go to a spin class, of course, there's different music being playing. But it's a very similar method, mm. and it's not. You know, there's not drastic variations. Uh, whereas, if you yeah. go to a yoga a yoga class, even with the same name, uh, the intermediate vinyasa, you know, one class will have you flying and doing arm balances and headstands and blah blah blah. Another class will be kind of slow and technical. Another class will look like it's a contemporary dance class. It's very non-prescriptive yeah. and it's very challenging. Would you speak to that at all? Like, how have you tried? Like, have you tried to make yours like a system that people stick to, or do your teachers go off in the world and still kind of nonetheless do their interpretation of it? Or what would you advise someone who is new to yoga 
and they try vinyasa class, they don't resonate with it, would you try them to, would you get them to go to other vinyasa classes? What are your thoughts on that, on the non-prescriptive nature, particularly of vinyasa yoga? Yeah, well, I think, obviously, because I'm in a training, I'll explain that there's many different styles of vin- vinyasa yoga. It is a kind of quite a loose term these days. Um, and um, I think a lot of people just do very fast standing flows, like you said, without much, uh, in, you know, alignment instruction or safety instruction. Or, um, but so, yeah, I always tell when I'm doing trainings, I always mention that obviously there's many different styles of flow. This is my style of flow. But I actually, you know, I think I developed it over many years and I kind of like to think that it is a very intelligent form of of doing flow. And I hope that most of the teachers that leave the training do teach in this style, you know. And I think a lot of people come to, the, actually many people come to the training because they were, they like the style of, that that their teacher was teaching Mm. so they just asked them where did you train you know so i think i would say that 75 percent of the people that come to my training these days had a teacher that was teaching the fly style and liked it you know and i think that so you know but of course i have no objection to somebody um going off and you know adding their own flavor or you know because everybody has different maybe things that they know you know with flow anything kind of goes if you if you've been doing like martial arts or (laughs) pilates you might add in some things from from that you know so everybody has their own background that is going to inform their teaching I think so you know and also everyone's got a different personality I always encourage people to really be themselves you know when they teach so it really depends on the kind of personality that you have too but um yeah I mean I do I mean I think that you know and there's going to be people that like every type of class as well you have to find a teacher that you like you know I mean I think this applies to anyone like don't just go to one class and think I don't like yoga based on that class because you know you you've got to give yoga a good try and go to you know different classes even here you know all of the teachers that teach at Surya Leela we have a lot quite a lot of teachers here and we all take it in turns to teach so it's not that it's not someone's coming as a guest to our center they're not getting the same yoga teacher for every class so maybe that you know and I think even the teachers here that were all trained by me and are working with me they all are really different actually you know just because their own personality what they like to do and everything comes out and people do appreciate that you know having a different um teacher every day here you know i mean in a similar style um obviously because they were all trained by me but um i think it you know it's that can be enjoyable if they're good teachers Mm. it's hard to know we know i think i would encourage anybody who's practicing yoga to try lots of classes before you make a decision about who you like. But sometimes, you know, like I, I've had in the past, you know, like, you know, been going to London and there'd be just one or two teachers that I know I liked and I would always look for their classes, you know. And so I think that you just need to find, I'm always really glad when I find a teacher I like, you know, because obviously being a teacher training, trainer, sorry, being a teacher trainer, you're quite critical of other people's classes, not verbally but in your head 
obviously, because um, especially when you spend a lot of your time critiquing other people's teaching, it, <laughs> it's quite difficult to find to find you know a teacher that you really respect and appreciate. But, in, in, um, in that sense, have, it's often nice to go to like a complete yeah. different style, isn't it? So there can be. If I went to an younger class because that's not my mm. background at all. I have no judgment particularly mm. because it's an entirely, almost an entirely mm. different method. The, the question that comes up related to what you just said, I'm playing devil's advocate here, is if we start to, or if a teacher starts to incorporate different things, different movement modalities within their yoga practice, is it still yoga? Yeah. Now, of course, yoga's asana is constantly evolving. And you know, many things have been taken from the breakdancing world or from colonial gymnastics and the like. So things have always been plucked. Uh, you know, I taught a class today, which actually you know stole a lot from the you know, mobility stuff, like active range of motion stuff. My view is that the reason we're using the body in yoga is a vehicle for self inquiry. That's you know, and for many people in the West, it's the most accessible tool. Meditation is quite hard. Kirtan is what's going on with that heavy stuff, you know. <laughs> Whereas asana and movement of the body seems accessible. And so for me, the stretch, they're getting stronger, they're getting more open, is just a welcome byproduct. But if we're using the body, we may as well do it in a way that is beneficial and less likely to cause us injuries. And that's my answer, I guess, to that question of, is it still yoga? What would How, how would you speak to that when people say to you, well, if you're taking this and that and you're being influenced, where, where, does, it, where does it not become a yoga class? Where is it, when did it become a Pilates class or a general movement class? What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I don't feel very strongly that, you know, because I think yoga, I think the physical practice of yoga developed exactly in this way, you know, like if you, there was a book I read, I can't remember the name of it now at all, otherwise, but there was a book about the history of asana and how it, um, you know, how it was developed. Was it Richard Rosen's book at all? Richard Richard Rosen? No, I don't think it was Richard Rosen. But there was a yeah, there was a book about where yoga actually the actual physical practice came from, and the truth is that you know a lot of it, you know, when Patabi Joyce or no sorry when Krishnamacharya, who was Patabi Joyce's teacher and also Iyengar's teacher, um, he was in Mysore in the 1930s and he was teaching yoga at the palace in Mysore to teenage boys. And he actually created the Ashtanga yoga sequences. But a lot of the postures and things he took and, and wove into Ashtanga actually were, were being practiced on the street in Mysore outside the palace. There, were, there was a lot of kind of street kind of fairs going on and people were doing wrestling matches and Danish gymnastics apparently mm. was quite popular at the time and people would do it on the street. And he actually took things, some wrestling moves and, you know, some Danish gymnastics and wove that in to sun citations and stuff. So already yoga is a combination, you know, the physical practice is a combination of lots of different modalities that were around in India. And none of, you know, a lot of it is quite modern. So Mm -hmm. there are postures that have been around for thousands of years, but not that many actually, you know. So the basic sun salutation has been around for a long time, but it was really a a sort of um, prostration to the sun. Yeah. Um, And, um, you know, a lot of what we call modern yoga is not that old. 
I guess the final thing, because time is running short, the final thing I'd love to know is where can people find you, find your trainings, your social media, what are you hosting? Yeah, well, um, we have obviously have a website, surrealila.com, and um, my training site is Frog Lotus Yoga International, and um, our Instagram is at surrealila yoga, or at Frog Lotus Yoga. So, um, yeah, so you can find us. And it's, it's, it's worth noting as well that uh, you have your own, if people want to look, you have your own in-house retreats run by your teachers uh, and people yeah. can stay as independent guests, can't they? They don't need to be part of a retreat per yeah. se, they can so, stay independently. Exactly. So people can either join a, a sort of external group like yours where they have a, we have a teacher coming in to teach um, with their students or, or followers and um, also we run our own in-house retreats we have a big selection of those like adventure and yoga and I do a few like immune boosting and spring happiness boosting and escape Christmas so we have a huge range of different retreats that we run ourselves as well and also you can come as an independent guest, yeah. So it's like if you just want to come and retreat yourself mm. um, and um, do yoga with us and uh, be at this beautiful place and eat our amazing food, <laughs> you can just come do that. So I yeah, think there's if lots I was of ever, options for coming here. If I was ever to write a book or needed to do some very deep work, I would come to your place. It's a per- it's a perfect place to spend a few weeks if you had the time and space to do that and you had a project to work yeah. on. I think it's a, it's a perfect space. Yeah, and is yeah there- we have had people here writing books. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you'd like to leave our listeners with about yoga? Maybe a sutra you resonate with, uh, something you say a lot to your students, anything on your mind at the moment that you're teaching in any classes? Um, one thing I teach about a lot is the nature of happiness and it's um you know that that we should never project our happiness onto any external person or event you know like never be dependent on any person or event to make us happy you know happiness is something that you need to find within but it is our true nature we just have to remove the um, ignorance that's preventing us from actually realizing that and obviously that's how to do that is a much bigger <laughs> answer <laughs> but I, I think the main thing is like you know many people most people look for happiness outside of themselves mm. but you can't depend on anything outside of yourself to give you happiness and I think that that's one of the deepest teachings that yoga has is like actually how to how to just um reconnect with your own deep inner nature and um you know learn how to be content because that's really the greatest thing that any one mm. of us could learn um yeah so thank you so much what a lovely way to end thank you yeah thank you adam it was nice to you. 